To me, it is encouraging that, um, number one, God loves when we pray, and God loves to answer our prayers. That's why there's so much written about it in Scripture. We believe it's a powerful exercise to pray. Now, we call it the National Day of Prayer. That doesn't mean this is the only day we pray. It means a couple of things. It means that groups all over the nation are doing this, and we are in concert with them. And it also means that we pray specifically nationally for our nation, for those who are in authority. And it's encouraging to know that many of those in authority are also praying. I was just back in Washington, D.C. Uh, with several people. One of them was Jim Dobson, and he's there today with a huge National Day of Pro uh, Prayer program in Washington. And uh, I was up at Capitol Hill, and as I approached Capitol Hill, I heard noise coming from loudspeakers. And I thought, boy, that sounds a lot like Scripture. And as I got closer, sure enough, it was Scripture being read 24 hours a day on the Capitol lawn from Monday to Thursday this week. I thought, that's encouraging. I thought, we had to do that here at our Capitol. In Santa Fe next year, I think we had to do that. Tuesday morning, we were up on Capitol Hill, and Senator Frist, the majority leader, who is a strong believer, this I know because I shared a conference with him a few years ago in North Carolina, and uh, when we were done with this briefing, uh, we all in those chambers bowed our heads there, including Senator Frist, and we prayed for the nation, for the president, for the bills that we were uh, involved in that day. And it's exciting, and you ought to know that. And also, we have a president that prays every day. And uh, he loves the Lord as well. And let me just say, you may not agree with the president on some of his policies, and that's all right. Um, you can still pray for him. I didn't agree with the last president on most all of his policies, but I prayed for him every day, and I supported him as the leader of my nation. So it doesn't matter who's in power. Uh, we ought to be praying for our leaders. Now, this morning, for just a few minutes before we pray, uh, uh, Sam Winder is going to come and address us for a few minutes. Sam is uh, an assistant U.S. attorney, and there's not many of them. And he is Native American, and he's a strong believer who fellowships here. And he's got a great testimony. Sam, come on up. It's a bit intimidating to be here this morning. And uh, the biggest challenge for a lawyer is speak, uh, speaking only for five minutes. So. Uh, uh, it is an honor to be here, and I just want to thank uh, Skip and Chip and, and David Rao for giving me an opportunity to speak this, this morning. I know this is not Skip's church, but uh, thank you for leading this church, Skip, in your teaching. I really appreciate that. Uh, again, my name is uh, Sam Winder. I'm the assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, my boss, his name is David Iglesias. David Iglesias, you can clap. <laughs> Uh, David Iglesias would love to have been here today, but he's out of state. Uh, David Iglesias is one of 94 United States attorneys in this country, and he is a believer, and we should be thankful for that. Uh, David's boss is John Ashcroft. John Ashcroft, as everyone knows, is on the cabinet of President Bush, and he is a believer as well. And, of course, we know President George W. Bush, the commander-in-chief, is a believer. The reason I share that with you is because it is unprecedented to have 
three men like this in authority over me. And I think we should be thankful for these three men and we should continue praying for them every day. Not a lot of you know about the United States Attorney's Office. Uh, David Iglesias is the U.S. Attorney, and we prosecute federal crimes throughout the state. Those crimes include child pornography, bank robberies, narcotics trafficking, white-collar crime, and violent crime, in which I prosecute violent crime on Indian reservations. Unfortunately, the majority of the crimes that I prosecute are alcohol-related crimes. In fact, this morning I was in court where a defendant pled guilty to beating his mom mercilessly, and she was sent to a hospital. He pled guilty today, but it's really, we know what the underlying problem here, and that is sin. Romans 13 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. These men have been appointed by God in authority, and we need to pray for them every day. There are various federal agencies that work with the United States Attorney's Office, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the U.S. Customs Service, the Secret Service, local law enforcement. We need to pray for every one of these agencies and their families of these men and women who put their lives at risk every day. Not only that, we need to pray for the defendants, the defendants who uh, are prosecuted their families when they are incarcerated. In fact, that's what I do every time I go to a, a, a hearing or trial. I pray that justice will be served and, 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 and uh, that these folks will come to know Christ as well. You know, you may not be able to see this right here, but this is the Department of Justice seal. And right below it is a Latin phrase that says, quid pro domina secator. I can't speak Latin, so I'll probably mess that up. But what that means in English is when truth, when, ju when truth prevails, justice will follow. Please pray that truth and justice will flow out of the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office. In Ephesians 1, 13-14, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, the praise of his glory. So we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. God is just. We know that. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. We are not perfect, we in law enforcement. We know we make mistakes. My life verse, one of them is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your, before your God? That is a prayer that I believe all of us should be praying in law enforcement. This church, church is in a unique position. I don't know if any of you know this, but Skip Heidsick is the chaplain for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and we should be thankful for that. There are law enforcement folks that attend this church. We are in a very unique position to be able to pray for the various law enforcement agencies throughout this state, to pray for the federal judiciary, the U.S. Marshal. Please pray for the United States Attorney's Office as well, the various employees that are there. You know, uh, 
On September 11th, we know that the landscape of America changed dramatically. The number one priority for the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office is counterterrorism. On September 11th, 2001, David Iglesias and I were in Solomon's porch having breakfast. We did not know the horrific aftermath of what was going to occur that day. I was supposed to fly to Utah that afternoon, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to go. When I left Solomon's porch, I called up my wife who was watching the events as they unfolded on television, and she saw the World Trade Center it collapsed, and she, was, she screamed. We know that things have changed dramatically since September 11th. As our president said, there is a fight between good and evil. Last February at the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, I was watching that on C-SPAN, and one of the gentlemen who spoke was George Tenet, who is the CIA director. He read Ephesians 6, and I'd like to close by just reading Ephesians 6 briefly. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, be able to stand, withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Please pray for us. We fight a daily battle against crime. We know what the underlying problem is, and that is sin each day. On this National Day of Prayer, may we pray for our president and the other leaders of this country, and may God bless America. Thank you. dream, the American ideal, the unique American culture, and traditional American values. Indeed, my core political beliefs, my conservative ideals, are grounded in my respect for the traditions that make up America's foundation. At the core of those traditions was the idea of freedom. Freedom was the idea that inspired our founders that moved them to break free of an oppressive regime and envision a better system of government. The framers of our Constitution were determined to establish a governmental structure that would ensure freedom. They understood that freedom was the exception rather than the rule in world history, and they were determined to right that wrong. Yes, he did. Any It's a rare country that doesn't use its superior economic and military might for ill. 
Sometimes our enemies misinterpret this as a sign of weakness or timidity. As we've seen time and time again, the American people have the strength and resolve to overcome the worst kinds of adversity. We are a just, kind, and God-fearing people. We don't seek to impose our will on others. We don't covet our neighbor's resources and territory. We're the first to bring humanitarian aid to those who are suffering in faraway places, and we're a loyal ally and friend to those who seek peace and goodwill. After all, what will it profit our children to grow up in the greatest, freest, coolest country on earth, only to be spiritually lost in a drift in this world without an anchor for their souls? We must help them know the truth, and the truth shall set them free indeed. So we want our kids to know the Ten Commandments, to understand them, to internalize them, and live by them. We want them to see us as good examples trying to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and trying to love our neighbors as we do ourselves. Moreover, we want them to understand that faith shouldn't be blind, it shouldn't be abstract. It involves going to church and praying and living on the straight and narrow, but that's just the beginning. To truly capture a child's soul and spark his imagination, your faith has got to be real. It must be vivid, exciting, and powerful. America is a large nation made up of millions of people, but our wars are fought by individuals, neighbors, friends, sons and daughters. Young men and women are in Iraq today who were in this church, perhaps seated next to you, just a few months ago. Men and women like Private First Class Ralph Rowland, who has allowed us to share with you this letter written to his wife, Melissa. You should see, babe, anyone who is against this war needs to be here and see how much these people want us here. They hate Saddam more than we do. It's hard to imagine how people like that even get into power, but they do, I guess. Last night, we went out to get this abandoned tank and blow it up. Some guy drove the tank off the street to an empty field. They unloaded the ammunition and blew the tank up with C4. It was cool. Pieces of the tank went everywhere. I had the joyous job of keeping the locals back. So there I am, one guy trying to hold back like 60 people. It was funny when I realized none of them were going past me because they were just piling around me because they were just totally fascinated with the Americans who gave them freedom. Talking to one of them, who kind of knew English pretty well, I found out that if anyone even thought about harming me, that the whole bunch would have instantly killed them. The kid I talked to, his mom is from England. He said the people are so happy for us to be there that they are willing to die for us. Saddam has oppressed these people so deeply for too long. This ideal of America is the hope of all mankind. A man who proclaims good from evil. That hope still lights our way. A man under God. And the light shines in the darkness. A man who leads a nation under God. In the darkness. And yet. Will not overcome it. Just a man. Pray for our president. May God bless America. You're here, uh, thank you. You're here today because you believe prayer works, right? Uh, it changes things, and more than that, it, it also changes us. It does. 
the very um, act of being in his presence with other people is transforming. We're going to break up in groups and we're going to pray, but um, we're going to prime the pump before we do, um, as if it needs to be primed, but we're going to get some direction. Uh, we were thinking of speakers uh, for the National Day of Prayer, and we've had several in the past, but uh, the other day I, I said to Chip Lusco, I said, you know, Chip, I, I think of all the different people uh, I've heard uh, recently, I, I'd rather hear you. And here's why. Chip has a unique perspective in terms of experience and um, connectiveness. Uh, he's my media director uh, here at the church, and uh, he's in touch with events and media around the world and how, um, how ideas change people. So this year, I've asked Chip to come and share with us, um, give us some direction before we break up in prayer. Chip? If you have a Bible open to uh, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 18, we'll be in verse 7. Lord, today we, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you boldly, transparently, and to find a throne of grace. We uh, intercede on behalf of our leadership in this country, in this community, in this church. And we know you hear our prayers, God, because we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. It, it is a new day uh, in America. You live in a time, a unique time, for the church of Jesus Christ. This is a day of unprecedented opportunity. Um, there's clearly a renewed sense of nationalism and patriotism, but that's not our focus. The Bible doesn't talk about patriotism. The examples of nationalism in the Bible aren't all that positive. When you look at Egypt and Babylon and, and Rome, um, the phrase God bless America comes from a song in the 1918 written by Irving Berlin. Now it's, it's very popular. But let's examine that statement. God, I should say comma, bless America. It's more of a command than a prayer. And that's not how we're told to pray. The real question should be, you know, can God bless America? Or how can God bless America? And the answer is in our text right here, where Jeremiah receives a word from the Lord. And the Lord says, when shall I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom? It's a word of judgment here, to pluck it down, to destroy it. But, verse 8 is, is a crucial pivot point. If that nation against whom I have pronounced judgment turns from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do to them. And so, we also sing the song, America the Beautiful. But we must be realistic and understand there is also in America the ugly. And for that reason, God is perhaps poised, we've heard for many, many years, to judge our nation. But we have the promise right here that if that nation turns, God will relent if we repent. So the short form answer is God is more than willing to bless America. And let's be careful to remember, though, that America is temporary. Let's not view America as an institution, but as an instrument, simply an instrument in God's hands, disposable upon his will. And you must realize that it is a new day in America. Uh, we live in the equivalent of an American empire. 
militarily, financially, culturally. In history, we are now an American empire, a superpower without peer. We now take our place alongside the British Empire, the Roman Empire, the Greek, the Egyptian, the Babylonian. And we have many things in common with them from a standpoint of power and ability, but some things truly distinguish America that we can say America is beautiful at some levels. I just read the book Bush at War, telling the story of the first few days after 9-11. And did you know that at the very first war cabinet meeting, when they decided to invade Afghanistan and they, they traced the terrorism to Afghanistan, the first question out of the mouth of our commander-in-chief was, how can we get humanitarian aid to the people of Afghanistan? Now, I can assure you Nebuchadnezzar did not have that question when he invaded Jerusalem, and that Hitler and Stalin and Napoleon and the, the, the pharaohs and the Caesars never cared for the fate of their conquest. That's what sets America apart in history. That's what makes America truly beautiful. And so we need to view America and define our terms in the way of we are an instrument, a temporary one in God's hands. And it's not prosperity that makes us great. It's not our form of government or our capitalism or Republicans or Democrats. You know, a French philosopher came here in the 1800s. You've often heard him quoted. The French were more friendly back then. Um, but he said, America is great because America is good, etc. Well, that's a noble thought, but it's not really true. Because the Bible says none are good, none are righteous, no, not one. America is not good. America is only great because God has chosen to let us be great. And so if we ever cease to depend upon him, we come to a very dangerous juncture. And what is the true blessing God has given to America? It is not prosperity or military might or the unleashing of industrial genius. The greatest blessing he has given us is the knowledge of him. That's the ultimate blessing, living in that light and to whom much is given, much, much is required. That's what makes America beautiful, the fact that we know God. At least a remnant, a significant remnant, knows God here in America today. And, in fact, that's why we're the primary platform for most world evangelism. That's why most Bible translation takes place on our shores. That's why the American Bible Society alone last year printed some 31 million scriptures. That's why there are 1,400 Christian radio stations. 50 million Christian albums were sold in this country alone last year. Now, that doesn't prove anything except a hunger for spiritual truth. And so we need to realize that um, uh, in many ways, America is a very ungodly nation. There are troubling trends. There is encroaching evil. There's a corrupt anti-God attitude afoot uh, in this land. We all know that. That's America the ugly. But you know what? We hear a lot about that in the media, but that's not God's focus. He could deal with that overnight. He brought Babylon to its knees in a single evening. He brought Assyria to his end, and Rome, and Greek, and all, Greece, and all the rest. God's focus is that remnant. God is looking at the platform he has established in America, that city shining set upon a hill, and he's saying to us, the question is not will I bless you, but are you willing to be blessable, if I can invent that word? Are we going to be a blessable people? Never in history ever had more opportunity. At what time did the church ever have more equipment? at its fingertips to do the Lord's will. Never. This is a unique juncture we have. And the question is, does not does God want it done, but are we willing to do it? 
The parallel is found in the plains of Babylon. That statue we saw topple in Baghdad wasn't the first tower to fall in Babylon. Back in Genesis, we find that the Tower of Babylon was being built, and the, the Trinity had a unique conference, and they established a very important principle. They said, if these people are united, nothing will be withheld from them. So the reverse of that for the church, now that the Holy Spirit has come and united us theoretically, that what will be withheld from us in terms of completing the Great Commission if we are truly united in spirit, mind, resource, and energy? This is a new day in America. This is a national day of prayer. We're going to pray here in a few moments. But I'm reminded that in World War II, if the U.S. military wanted to destroy one building in Nazi Germany, it would take between six and 10,000 bombs to destroy that factory or plant or train depot because of the inaccuracy of the bomb. 6,000 bombs. Entire towns were destroyed to destroy one factory. Well, the military, realizing that by Vietnam, came up with a strategy of, of carpet bombing. They would simply say, okay, we're just going to level the whole area because we can't be accurate. Well, that changed with the advent of technology by Desert Storm. The record came in of 50% of the bombs were accurate. We heard a lot about laser-guided missiles and what? Smart bombs. But 50% of the bombs missed their target just 12, 13 years ago. By the time Kosovo and Afghanistan rolled around, 75% of the bombs were accurate. And the record isn't fully in right now, but maybe 90% in the most recent conflict of the bombs were accurate. And so I'm afraid when we say things like, God bless America, or God save the world, or God do this, we're praying the equivalent of World War II prayers. We're using kind of carpet bombing, kind of crude spiritual technology. And just as the Army has laser-guided prayers, we need scripture guided prayer. We need smart prayers. And what does the Bible tell us to pray? Well, Jesus said, pray that God would send workers into the harvest because the harvest is ripe. That should be our prayer. Pray for more zealous, energetic people to fulfill the Great Commission. Let's go back briefly before I, I close to the parallel of how this country was built. We know the goodness of God that allowed us to build it, but what really built the nuts and bolts of America? It was the energy, the genius, the drive, the vision, the sweeping dreams of men and women who had a, a great goal and weren't afraid to sacrifice to accomplish it. Names like Getty, Rockefeller, Kennedy, captains and titans of business and industry. Now, I grant you, their motives were greed many times and personal uh, enrichment, but the mechanics, the model we have there is leadership. Men and women not afraid to have a large vision. And the fact is, we serve a large God. And uh, it may not be theologically exactly astute, but the fact is, there isn't even a word large enough to describe how big God is. He, our language can't contain him. And so we need to be praying for men and women to have large visions not afraid to grasp and hope for things above our means. This is a new day. There's a changing of the guard in the church leadership today. The men and women who led us through the Jesus movement, the moral movement, the re renewal here in America, are about to pass the baton to a new set of leaders. And we ought to pray specifically today that God would energize men and women with large visions, who have a, have a, a view of, 
of a huge God who aren't afraid to tackle the entire world on his behalf because God certainly is willing. Well, a final caution and three quick thinking points for you, then we'll, we'll pray. Um, this is an opportune time, a unique time for the Church of Jesus Christ, but it's also a dangerous time because each of the other empires I spoke about got to the point where they were self-confident, where they trusted in their military might. Just as Uzziah had unprecedented military success in Israel, and the Bible says he was marvelously helped until he became strong. And then God said, well, I guess you're on your own now. And so that can happen to America if we become overconfident in our military ability, our financial prowess, our wisdom, our singular superpower status. So we need men of zeal, but men of humility as well, who stand in the shadow of a mighty God. And then the thinking points. We have, no doubt, an open door. As never before, the door is open for the church to do whatever we are willing to do with God's direction and his resources. We also have open hearts, as never before. Jesus said it. The fields are white to harvest. The world is enslaved by darkness. And we have been given the illumination of God's truth. An open door, open hearts. That's without doubt or question. Here's the issue. Do we have open hands willing to let God's resources flow through to the world? Or are we so full of ourselves and grasping on to our narrow kingdoms that we can't contain the great things I know God wants to do for us? Here's the specific smart prayer I, I would submit to you. We make our lives available to God, that he would take our lives individually and corporately and just as Isaiah said, we would chorus, here I am, God, wherever, whenever, however, use me.